Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Solo Pod Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's here to break down all things at the quarterback position ahead of week two. As always, try to keep these solo pods more on the 15 to 30 minute side. Definitely will be close to 15 for the quarterback episode. Looking at the streamers of the week, some of the best matchups of the week, and get to the quarterback rankings. Plenty of fun sprinkled in. So thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get after it. First things first, the matchup to take advantage of this week. It's going to be Washington Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz at the Detroit Lions, something we tried to stress on this podcast throughout the entire summer, and now here we are now still talking about it. Wentz, well, no, he, I don't think he's ever going to be quite as good as he was in 2017. I don't think anyone's going to confuse him as a potential MVP candidate again. The disparity between him and the rest of the league's average to below average QBs maybe was a bit overstated this offseason, especially considering all the weapons that he's got available in this Washington offense. So coming off a top five finish in week one, now gets a Detroit Lions defense in the dome, like coming into the year, 25th ranked secondary, 26th ranked offensive line. They just ranked 31st in week one, EPA allowed per play. Fair play to Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. Maybe we just haven't seen, you know, the true version of this Dan Campbell defense yet. But again, with Carson Wentz back there, if you need a streamer, if you're trying to replace Dak Prescott, I think Wentz is your best bet right now. So without Wentz, I would say Justin Fields and Jameis Winston are your next two best bets. If you're out that waiver wire, don't be afraid to go listen to the also Tuesday edition of this podcast. Myself and Nathan Yankee going through the full waiver wire list. One matchup we got to be cautious of, Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson against the Miami Dolphins. You got to start Lamar. I, I wrote this article, I did my ranks, and I still rank Lamar QB6. So this is not a fade Lamar thing. But in that QB1 tier, I have moved Lamar to the bottom of it because he just hasn't been good against the Blitz over the past two seasons. And we can always go back to 2019 when Lamar was incredible and everything. But guys, it's rough. PFF passing grade over the last two years, 34th among 39 qualified quarterbacks against the Blitz. His uh, yards per attempt, 25th. His adjusted completion rate, 21st. His QB rating, 30th. Again, I'm not just sticking to the PFF grades. Every single stat you want to pull up looking at Lamar's performance against the Blitz, he is either average at best or more likely pretty damn bad, actually. So we saw this really come to fruition last year in this matchup against the Dolphins when they zero blitzed him seemingly every other snap. So in that game, 238 passing yards one touchdown he did chip in 39 rushing yards i don't know guys like this is a situation now where the dolphins have blitzed more than any other defense since week one of last season and look they were at 44 percent overall from week one to week one this year 48.5 percent blitz rate in week one that was the sixth highest mark so i think they're going to be coming after lamar early and often once again if they don't have that run game to slow that down just a little bit or they don't have that deep ball to make them respect it could be another long afternoon for lamar jackson but again, please, for the love of God, don't even think about benching Lamar. We're not trying to lose money here. Bowl call of the week. I missed last week on the Trey Lance overall QB1 call. We certainly got off that a little bit more as we got closer to Sunday, and it was apparent just how bad the weather is. But guess what? 
We're back. Trey Lance, top five performance this week. That's what we're going with. I'm not getting afraid of Trey Lance just because of one bad performance in a freaking monsoon, just like you shouldn't really fault Justin Fields for that. And I think we did see guys like, you know, I think it was Austin Gale over at the ringer, maybe Ben Solik too, showing off that Trey Lance, he really did have a couple really nice throws. That deep crosser to Brandon Ayuk, the deep ball to Juwan Jennings down the sideline. A lot of bad throws, too. That interception he threw, what, late third, early fourth, inexcusable. I get it. But we saw the arm talent there. And more importantly, for fantasy purposes, the reason we care about Trey Lance in the first place, those rush attempts are still there. So he now has 44 rush attempts and four career extended appearances. That's good for a 17-game pace of 187 rush attempts. Lamar Jackson is the only quarterback in NFL history to clear 150 rush attempts in the season. I'm going back to well with Trey Lance. He's my QB7 on the week. Don't be afraid to trust him against the Seattle defense. Coming off, you know, again, such an emotional win. Short week, though, and I'm still not convinced that that front seven is going to be able to slow them down without Bobby Wagner around. Mentioned before, streamer of the week going to be Carson Wentz. Shout out Jameis Winston, last week's streamer of the week for the QB9 performance. Appreciate you, Jameis. Streamer of next week, probably. Last week, we were thinking it was going to be Jared Goff against Washington. Still not the worst, but the way Washington's offense looked, more than reasonable, just to give Carson that nod. But the streamer of week three, who I'm trying to guess ahead of time, I do think could be Atlanta Falcons quarterback Marcus Mariota. So a lot of the week three matchups are tough. I mean, I was getting down to the bottom of it, but let's just keep betting on quarterbacks playing the Seahawks if at all possible I know they did a good job against Russ but come on we take away Jamal Adams now from the equation seemingly for the entire year I'm just not so sure Seattle is going to be able to slow down these two rushing quarterbacks they got up next and Mariota really has been a rushing quarterback lately I saw him at Oregon I understand that he ran a 4-5-2 the guy's athletic guys he only surpassed 65 rushing yards one time in 63 games with the titans he's done it in each of his last two extended appearances now week one with the falcons in that game a couple years ago where he came in after Derek carr got hurt early on so with marcus Mariota, man it's he's had 72 yards and a touchdown 88 yards and a touchdown on the ground in these last two starts the falcons look like they were embracing it hey it's not illegal for a bad real-life quarterback to put up some solid fantasy numbers. Marcus Mariota could be right there with Justin Fields in terms of those you know, dual-threat quarterbacks in bad offenses that we still like in fantasy land. Don't be afraid. If you need a quarterback in Week 3, which I don't see a huge reason why you would. No, I, know, I know we don't have bye weeks yet. Someone gets injured, though, or if you just had Dak and now you're looking at a situation where you're going week to week, Marcus Mariota setting up very nicely for a Week 3. Quarterback who in week one had to deal with the most sheesh. It's got to be Indianapolis Colts, Matt Ryan. Honorable mention Aaron Rodgers for that pearl of a deep ball to Christian Watson that got dropped on the first play of the game. But Matty Ice, otherwise not one, but two drop touchdowns that hit his receivers just straight up in the chest in the end zone. So Alec Pierce missed the first one. Ashton Doolin, the second one, a little more excusable because it got punched out, but still. And I mean, I get it. Not completely you know removing matt ryan to blame here you get peyton manning comps throughout the entire offseason probably shouldn't be tying against the texans in week one but matt ryan really was a lot better i think than the box score gave him credit for so check out my week one sheesh report uh, for all those gonna be on the box score notes that you can only really find by hashtag watching the film major riser of the week seattle seahawks quarterback geno smith the Geno game, guys, on Monday night, that was electric, that first half start. Even as a Drew Locke apologist, how can I be anything but happy for Geno Smith? I mean, Drew Locke lost a quarterback battle to the best quarterback alive. Like, no harm in that. But all uh, all sad jokes aside, I mean, Geno Smith, 23 of 28, 195 yards, pair of touchdowns. No, I'm not saying to stream Geno this week, even if you're in – 
probably not even if you're in a two QB super flex league. It is manageable there. But hey, this is Geno Smith now. Another game where he played objectively really good football. Like how many times does this have to happen until we look at Geno Smith and he's no longer perceived as Geno freaking Smith? So, you know, it's just the same thing. I saw Rex Ryan went on, a, I think it was Pat McAfee's show, and he was just making fun of Geno's jaw for what, getting his jaw broke, you know, eight years ago or something like that. Like that jet stink is still following Geno around everywhere. And hey, if you just look at the last six games he's played with Seattle, it's been a lot of good things out there. So a lot of tight end usage in this one. Hopefully we get DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett balling soon. But hey, guys, at some point, if Geno Smith keeps doing this and we see a situation where the Seahawks aren't able to play with a lead in the same way they were uh, Monday night, Geno Smith, all of a sudden, I don't want to completely ignore the guy when if we did just take away his name, we looked at his underlying metrics compared to all these other quarterbacks, we'd be a lot more interested. So is Geno really that much more gross than someone like Jared Goff or like Carson Wentz when you're streaming him? I don't think so. We'll see what's in store for Geno the rest of the way. The major follower of the week, it's got to be Dak Prescott. Now, Jerry Jones is saying it's only going to be four weeks, potentially. Got to love uh, Jerry trying to, you know, put put out his best, put his best foot forward. But supposedly six to eight weeks from actual medical professionals. But the Cowboys aren't going to put him on IR, so we'll see. I'm just worried, guys. Like, we saw Russ try to come back from the pinky last year. Maybe it was his ring finger. Whatever it was, and he was rehabbing it for 18 hours a day, allegedly, or whatever that uh, storyline was. And he came back, and it took him several weeks to even look close to Russ again. I mean, Dak didn't even look like Dak in week one. So who's to say that after literally fracturing his throwing thumb that he's going to be back to normal anytime soon? Yeah, not good. With Dak, if you haven't, I guess – he should be able to go into an IR spot in most, most leagues. I wouldn't consider him someone you absolutely need to hold on to throughout this entire stretch, though. If you need to stream a quarterback, go ahead and stream a quarterback. Don't compromise like the opportunity to get like a legit RB1 or an upside wide receiver on the waiver wire over the course of what could, again, be two months for a quarterback that winning gets back. I mean, low-end QB1, that's probably what we're hoping for at this point out of Dak. Sad, sad, sad start to the season for Cowboys fans. Want to shout out the movement in Miami going on. I love when I'm rewatching the games and I usually just take notes about questions I want to ask later and hopefully try to find some stats that show what I was seeing on the film. Novel concept uh, going on there. And watching the Dolphins just really shocked throughout the whole game how much they were shifting and motioning before the snap. I looked it up afterwards and sure enough, number one in the week and shift motion rate before the snap was the Chiefs at 75.8%. Number two, though, the Miami Dolphins at 74.6%. Bills in third place at 74.1%. So I fully understand the Chiefs and Bills were quite a bit more successful on offense than the Dolphins here, but it's just good to see Mike McDaniel bring that part of the Shanahan offense into Miami with Shanahan, LaFleur, and um, McVay. It's just tough sometimes to tell when their kind of disciples go to these new teams. We don't know how much of that offense was the offensive coordinator or how much of it was the head coach who's actually the one calling the plays. So last year, the 49ers easily number one in this shift motion rate at 80.7%. Good to see the Dolphins again up to 75% after being at just 58% last season. Really feeling good about Tyree Kill. A little bit lesser extent, Jalen Waddle and really uh, Chase Edmonds here moving forward. And it's not a slight on Tua. Still not totally sold on Tua having enough fancy friendly volume as both a rusher and you know passer just to really get up there in the fantasy leaderboard he's going to need an awful lot of efficiency to do it either way though it's still a nice sign that the dolphins were able to go out there and actually look like an explosive offense been a while since we could say that 
the y'all must have forgot award of the week. It's Patrick Mahomes. We were able to call this last week, and it's Patrick Mahomes. So, like, is calling a good Patrick Mahomes uh, game or the pat in the back? Probably not. We'll go with one, though. So, just putting in the historical context, though, it really is wild that how much we take Mahomes for granted at this point. I mean, in NFL history, guys, games with 300-plus passing yards and five touchdowns. Number one is Drew Brees with nine such games. Brady has eight. Peyton has seven. Dan Marino has six. And already in fifth place all time is Patrick Mahomes with five. Pure madness. Going a lot to Juju Schuster, But yeah, this week, Mahomes, my overall QB2, just behind the king himself, Josh Allen. Now, looking at some quarterbacks that might be under pressure, as always, I'm taking the offensive line's pressure rate and basically adding to the defensive line's pressure rate. So this kind of helps us see the overall, I guess, difference between the matchups because this is how we usually talk about matchups. It's like, oh, this team's number one in this. This defense is number 30 in this, so it must be a good matchup for the offense. By combining those, then we can just kind of, I think, judge them a little bit better one versus the other. But these are the five quarterbacks popping the most on this. In a negative way, they should be under the most pressure this week so geno smith at the 49ers only the vikings allowed a higher pressure rate in week one now we got nick bosa who had all sorts of success against justin fields already last week not looking like a good uh, potential encore there for geno smith also gotta worry about kyler murray at the raiders pressured at the league six highest rate in the cardinals blowout loss to the chiefs raiders are one of the six defenses to post a pressure rate of at least 40 percent in week one not looking too good for Kirk Cousins at the Eagles. 55% pressure rate for Kirk Cousins and the Vikings in week one. Thank God Justin Jefferson was able to do his thing. But man, Eagles, they weren't really that great on defense. Obviously, in week one, giving up 35 points to the Lions. I wouldn't be surprised if we see them really start to look the part of a great defense now that they're not facing PFF's third-ranked offensive line going to the year. Also, Joe Flacco against the Browns not looking good. And Justin Fields at the Packers not looking good. Guys, Fields fun performance like just the backyard football stuff he was doing out there the underhand pitch to montgomery the throwback to pettis a lot of good things going on there but 3.64 seconds from snap to throw for justin Fields, easily the highest mark in week one second place was lamar jackson at 3.3 so we do naturally see mobile quarterbacks have the higher time to throw because they're able to hold on to the ball longer guys like you know a jimmy garoppolo joe flacco are just kind of getting sacked before they even have the opportunity to extend it but that has kind of been the talking point about fields even going back to his days at ohio state we'll see if it's gonna be problematic this week against a packers defense that was able to post a fourth highest pressure rate in week one other side of the coin these are five quarterbacks who should have all day to throw this week just based on again the pressure rates being combined from both their offensive line and their defense so marcus mariota against the rams mariota only pressured on 5.4 percent of his dropbacks in week one easily the best that said, Josh Allen, he wasn't pressured at all against the Rams. That's why Mariota's popping in this. Credit to Josh Allen for having the week's fourth quickest release time. So not really expecting Aaron Donald and company to stay quiet for much longer. Matt Ryan, though, looking good against the Jaguars. That's more of a DFS stream that I would be interested in. Lamar Jackson versus the Dolphins, only because the Dolphins weren't able to get to Mac Jones much in week one. And that was mostly because Mac Jones had the uh, third quickest release time in week one. As we saw with the Patriots offense, wasn't exactly helping them out doing that strategy. So fully anticipating the Dolphins looking a little bit more like last season moving forward when they were the league's number one pass rush and overall pressure rate. And also Russell Wilson against the Texans. Russ actually was kept upright pretty well on Monday night. And Mac Jones against the Steelers mentioned that quick release time. And you take TJ Watt out of the picture. Maybe this Patriots offense can finally get back on track. Shout out Carson Wentz, week high three big time throws. They are what they sound like, you know, just a really good throw. But I thought the best throw of the week, 
maybe not the best throw, just one of my favorite throws of the week was Justin Herbert, you know, with this freaking like 40 yard laser to Keenan Allen, where the linebacker was running next to him, didn't turn his head. The safety was coming and you just see this ball, just literally Keenan just stuck his hands out. And I'm not even sure if he had to like close a grip. The ball was just so perfectly thrown. Just another in the ever growing highlight reel of Justin Herbert. On the other side of things, Derek Carr, five turnover-worthy plays in week one. They were doing a good job force-feeding Devontae Adams, but my goodness, Carr had a couple of nice nails throws like late in the game. Not a good performance from Derek Carr overall. Also had Joe Burrow with four turnover-worthy plays, Matt Ryan with four, Justin Fields with three. So turnover-worthy, remember. So even though Justin Fields and Matt Ryan had only one interception each, they were deemed to be pretty lucky to come away with just that. Highest game totals of the week, Chargers at Chiefs, 54 and a half points, Cardinals and Raiders, Vikings at Eagles at 51 and a half, Titans and Bills at 49 and a half, and the Commanders Lions at 49. On the other side of things, these are six bottom matchups in terms of just the lowest over, over-unders. Jets at Browns, 40.5 points, same with the Patriots and Steelers. The Seahawks and 49ers are 42 and a half, the Bears at Packers are 43, and the Bengals, Cowboys, as well as the Panthers and Giants games at 43 points as well. So maybe stay away from those if uh, you can at all help it in a close start sit decision takes us right into the week two quarterback rank so top tier quarterback still hasn't changed after week one josh allen patrick mahomes justin herbert jalen hurts kylo murray and lamar jackson still my top six and i'm going back to the well with trey lance like why we're we're back in trey lance because the rushing upside we saw that fully on display in week one i'm not expecting that to go anywhere and i would like to think when he's not playing in a monsoon that we can have a little bit more passing efficiency so i will say you know we got joe burrow against the cowboys i'm Without Dak, I see a hard time with that being a shootout. And credit to Parsons and company holding Tom Brady and the Buccaneers to just 19 points. Russell Wilson, I mean, facing the Texans, that doesn't scream shootout to me. And are they actually going to start passing the ball more? Because that was weird that they didn't in week one. And then Tom Brady's got to face his kryptonite with the Saints. So, look, I have Burrow. Russ and Brady ranked eight, nine, 10. So I'm not fading them. But if you're like, what the hell? Why is this guy still going back to Trey Lance? Like, if those guys were in better matchups, okay, I might have dipped Lance just a tad because, like, come on, man. It wasn't a great performance, even though we I've, I've mentioned Monsoon like 30 times in this podcast. But just know that some of these lower end quarterbacks, lower end QB ones that don't have the same sort of rushing upside, also dealing with some tough matchups this week. With Aaron Rodgers, need to monitor exactly who's going to be healthy or not. Last week, we were happy about the matchup before we got the late week news that both offensive tackle David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins were going to be missing this one. Also missed Alan Lazard, you know, dealing with that ankle injury. So even getting just one of these guys back could be great news. And Aaron Rodgers getting back on the low end QB one map. Right now, I do favor Rodgers just by a hair ahead of Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford, and Derek Carr. And yeah, I do have enough respect in the Packers pass rush to leave Justin Fields behind guys like Cousins, Stafford, Carr, and even Carson Wentz, Justin Fields as my QB 16, right where I draw the line in terms of quarterbacks where I could start them in one quarterback formats and not completely hate myself. So finally, though, four quarterbacks who had really high expected fantasy points, but weren't able to really cash in exactly on scoring the fantasy points and a lot of that has to do with them maybe not being that great at real life football, but still the opportunity was there. 
Trevor Lawrence was the QB three in expected fantasy points last week. Just missed a lot of throws. Missed the ETM wheel. Misses A. Jones, Marvin Jones for potential touchdowns and big gains. Yeah, ETN did drop the one three yard pass, but it was more bad than good from Trevor Lawrence. Marcus Mariota, QB five. That sweet, sweet rushing upside. But again, let's see if the first 63 games of Mariota's career were a lie and the last two tell the future story or not. It's possible. It's possible. Joe Flacco, QB nine last week in total expected points just from freaking throwing the ball 59 times that'll happen and finally jared goff at qb 11 so washington lions maybe a sneaky shootout the people are starting to wonder so youtube crowd got some cool graphics for you in this one and most notably i took the time you know got the snaps the route rate the carries and targets every rb1 rb2 rb3 around the league now that we finally can stop projecting and just look at what actually happened there on the nfl field so with that in mind go spend the first part of this podcast with some key workload takeaways we'll quickly hit the handcuff index and then we'll get more into actual week two matchups and ranks so with that said 10 running backs had at least a snap rate of 70% in week one. Saquon Barkley leading the way, 83%. Daryl Henderson, 82%. Christian McCaffrey, 80%. Dalvin Cook, 77%. Leonard Fournette, 76%. Jonathan Taylor, Joe Mixon, also 76%. Rex freaking Burkhead at 72%, like we all guessed. James Conner at 71%. And Derrick Henry at 70%. Henry was the only one of those that did not possess a route rate of at least 58%. So legit workhorses here. Barkley, Henderson, McCaffrey. Cook, Fournette, Taylor, Mixon, Burkett, Connor, Henry. We're talking about guys that, with the exception of Burkhead, can't leave the fantasy lineup right now. We'll talk a little more about Houston later, but it was one week. Damian Pierce is still technically the starter, even though Burkhead worked ahead of him in every single package. I'm not completely giving up on Damian Pierce, but I'm also not completely drinking the Kool-Aid on Rex Burkhead. I have him ranked inside the top 36 because this usage is truly borderline erotic. I mean, if Damian Pierce had this usage that Rex Burkhead had, we would be crowning him as the next great fantasy football superstar, but he didn't. Rex is going to be annoying on pass downs and just this Texans offense as a whole. I don't want to trust it. And that was kind of our big discussion about why we were fading Damian Pierce in round five going into the year, just how bad this offense has been at just available opportunities for running backs. And we really saw it come to fruition also with porous offensive line troubles in week one. Texans in week one, guys, 77 rushing yards, 87 rushing yards after contact. Let your brain freaking wrap around that for a second. Henderson mentioned him in this group, you know, also on the Tuesday edition of the PFF fantasy football podcast did a waiver pod with Nathan Yonke, where we talked about Henderson. He is the top waiver wire edition of the week. Even if this snap rate comes down a little bit, guys, we're still talking about the now new one, a running back in Los Angeles. So a little more on Henderson in a bit, but yes, you know, you, you, this, this is what we believe in. This is not Daryl Henderson going out there, you know, walking to the end zone once or twice. I remember Mal- Malcolm Brown a couple years ago had the two goal line touchdowns in week one and people are ready to throw Todd Gurley in the garbage this is not that this is Henderson having a workhorse workload and yeah we got to freaking start dealing with that reality everyone even if you had Cam Akers still need to just move on use the information we got and adjust accordingly also have some definitive lead backs in Rashad Penny, David Montgomery, DeAndre Swift, Chase Edmonds, Antonio Gibson, Cordero Patterson, and Alvin Kamara just in terms of their week one usage. So with all these guys, really, we just saw them take over basically all aspects of the game. There were more running backs involved. I mean, Rashad Penny did have to deal with Travis Homer, but in his 
to his credit, still 61% route rate. Montgomery was still the lead back well over Khalil Herbert. Same thing with Swift over Jamal. Chase Edmonds just overall. Antonio Gibson over McKissick and Cordero Patterson with Damian Williams exiting early with that rib injury. Also note that Alvin Kamara has a rib injury right now, so that helps explain a little bit of his lackluster usage. More on him when we get to our injury section. I would note that Aaron Jones, while he wasn't quite as productive as A.J. Dillon in week one, the underlying usage still really favored Aaron Jones. Still had a 61% snap rate, 65% route rate. A.J. Dillon was at 51% and 37%. So just before I started recording this, I saw a notification that uh, Matt LaFleur said unacceptable for Aaron Jones to only have the nine touches that he had in this one. So maybe it was 10 touches. Either way, Aaron Jones, yeah, don't worry. Go back to the well. He's going to be fine. Jets went ahead and stayed true. There were by starting both Michael Car- by sorry by starting Michael Carter ahead of Brees Hall. Both had some pretty nice target totals with Joe Flacco checking it down. But let's not get too excited here, everyone. I don't like relying on running backs purely because their offense is so bad that we can get some target situations where they see a boom late in games. I don't hate it. If you need a flex, that's fine. I have both these guys ranked as RB threes. Just don't get too carried away. Good news, Josh Jacobs, Devin Singletary, and Kenyon Drake, as long as Dobbins is out, are their offensive lead backs. The problem is, in Las Vegas, we got three running backs involved. In Buffalo, we got three running backs involved, assuming James Cook eventually makes it out of the doghouse, and even in Baltimore behind Kenyon Drake with Mike Davis and Justice Hill. So it just caps these guys' overall ceilings. I'm not saying you can't start Josh Jacobs. He was awesome last week, by the way, uh, with his limited opportunities on the ground. Unfortunately, though, like when he's sharing the backfield with multiple guys, it's just going to be impossible for him to reach the heights that someone that is either featured or sharing the backfield with just two guys is capable of getting to. Jeff Wilson, every running back snap once Elijah Mitchell was ruled out with that knee injury, and now Mitchell is going to be on IR and missing at least the next eight weeks. So behind Daryl Henderson, Jeff Wilson deserves to be the next most added running back on the waiver wire agenda for this week. Not going to be completely featured. Same issues with Elijah Mitchell also apply here. Having Trey Lance being such a dual threat quarterback, Debo Samuel factoring in. They signed Marlon Mack in practice squad, but still. 15-plus carries and targets per week for Jeff Wilson in the 49ers offense that we are expecting to have a little bit more scoring success moving forward than we saw in week one. Great day to go pick up Jeff Wilson. Zico Elliott, 58% snaps. Tony Pollard, 55% snaps. This is so fucked up, guys. Dennis Houston, something named Dennis Houston, played 57% of the offensive snaps in this one. Basically, more than Pollard and the same amount as Zeke. I know Dennis Houston plays wide receiver, but like, good job, Cowboys. This is your, you talked all freaking offseason about getting Pollard more involved and just maybe being this more receiver. You throw him two targets, two targets. And hey, last year, number one ranked scoring offense. It was tough to complain about what they were doing three points with Dak and they look freaking broken the entire time. Not looking good in Dallas. And if this usage persists, man, Zeke's going to go from freaking, you know, already a low end RB two to probably outside the top 24. It's not great for Pollard either. I mean, Pollard was not good in week one, even despite the lackluster usage. And now without Dak Prescott scoring upside for both guys is way down. If it's a close start, sit question with the Cowboys running back, I will most likely be taking the other guy. Shout out Javante Williams getting that PPR induced RB16 finish. He did have a 62% route participation rate, which is pretty good. 58% snaps led the way. Melvin Gordon not going anywhere. Hopefully both guys will just see generally better days than when Russell Wilson leads the offense to the end zone a little more often. 
Najee Harris seems awfully questionable for week two. He said he's going to play, but Mike Tomlin said, you know, young people are optimists basically, which is just a very funny classic Mike Tomlin thing to say. Regardless, Jalen Warren needs to be added. We did get definitive just evidence now that he is the RB2 in Pittsburgh. Whether or not he gets the exact same workload as Najee, I tend to think it'll be a little bit less than that. But hey, if Najee Harris is a volume-induced RB1, no reason why Jalen Warren couldn't be a volume-induced, you know, top 30 option should Najee have to miss some time. Kareem Hunt actually worked ahead of Nick Chubb overall in snaps, 57% versus 51%. Chubb still got his 22 carries, but yeah, they're not going to throw Chubb the ball. They never have. They seemingly never will. And if Kareem Hunt gets hurt, they're going to elevate Dearness Johnson to the active roster and into the pass down role. So Nick Chubb, still an upside RB2 and arguably the single best running back in the world. But Kareem Hunt, also very good in his own right, and he's going to continue to get the more fantasy-friendly pass-down work. Could have had an even bigger game last week, guys. Kareem Hunt almost had a 60-yard house call down the sideline. Jacoby sailed it. He got interfered with a little bit before, but it did seem like a pretty bad throw. Austin Eckler, pretty troubling week one workload, 51% snaps. Did get 15 carries and three targets, but the really problematic part, 38% route participation rate. I mean, just for context, like Derrick Henry was at 40% last week. We don't want Derrick Henry on the field on pass downs more so than Austin Eckler. So I'm, I'm of the opinion that this was just more of a one week, you know, blip on the radar. I'm not going to overthink it. We did see Joshua Kelly, though, 25% snaps and Sony Michelle, 25% snaps staying involved and also being used on the field on pass down. So I'll be more worried about this if we see it persist more than one week. James Robinson immediately returning to the starting job and he had those two touchdowns. Don't completely give up on ETN though. Both guys actually played 50% of the snaps. ETN looked very explosive. Yes, he dropped a walk-in touchdown pass, but you know what? I happen to remember someone named DeAndre Swift dropping a potential touchdown pass in his first NFL game as well. Just love that that's now the storyline we got going after trying to comp ETN to DeAndre Swift uh, throughout the offseason. But both guys, luckily, in just a two-back committee. So if something happens to ETN or something happens to Robinson. The other guy is going to be sky high. I am ranking Robinson just ahead of ETN right now. I have each in the RB3 sphere right around those Patriots running backs. Also, speaking of, Patriots, Chiefs, and Eagles are stuck in three running back committees. The Eagles are featuring Miles Sanders, number one, but Gamewell's taking a lot of the pass downs, and Boston Scott's involved as well. And with the Chiefs, two tutties for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but damn it, Pacheco's still going to be involved a bit on early downs, and Jarek McKinnon's going to take the pass downs. I mean, Jarek McKinnon ended up playing the most amount of snaps in this one. Uh, the Patriots and the Chiefs were the only two backfields to not have a single running back on the field for even 40% of the offensive snaps. So, hey, Clyde's playing for the Chiefs. He can always have these touchdown games. That's part of being in there. But it is going to be a situation where I'm going to have a really tough time ranking Clyde ahead of other running backs who we're really confident are going to see potentially 10 additional combined carries and targets per week. Quickly on the Patriots. Today, Ty Montgomery put on the IR with the ankle injury, and Montgomery was working out there. 33% route rate, 35% snaps, well ahead of Ramondre Stevenson, who's at 26% snaps and 15% route rate. So Ty Montgomery being out is good for Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Damian actually worked ahead of Stevenson as a receiver in terms of total routes. They each had two targets in this one, so... Without Montgomery, the Patriots are running out of running backs to just take away Ramondre Stevenson's opportunities. James White retired. They cut J.J. Taylor. Kevin Harris is out of the picture. And now you take away Ty Montgomery. I like mocked this in the summer, like when Dwayne and I weren't really that high in Ramondre Stevenson because I talked about all the running backs that could be in his way. Well, they're no longer in his way for a variety of reasons. So maybe Pierre Strong comes in and just makes this another nightmare. I wouldn't put it past the Patriots. Tentatively, though, guys, 
Damian Harris or Mondre Stevenson, a two-back committee if the Patriots offense can get a little bit better and start looking like the unit that finished sixth in uh, total points scored last season. I do think both Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson can start providing some weekly like top 25 value potentially guys because this backfield really is fancy friendly with the amount they do throw the running backs usually though it's just been three parties we get that down to two it is very important so anyway i got this chart on my twitter in my running back article on pff.com it's just a really easy way for you to kind of digest the whole week cool conditional formatting all that snap percentage carries targets and route rate all courtesy of the lovely folks at pff going to run through my handcuff index took a little bit longer on this last week because we didn't have actual data but basically i have four main groups of handcuffed running backs. so if you're looking to kind of fill out your bench you're just wondering about a guy's overall upside this should help you so the following teams would be expecting to hand their backup running back something pretty close to a fantasy friendly three down roll should their team starter be forced out of action we got the bears khalil herbert taking over if david montgomery gets hurt the broncos just as javante williams would go off if melvin gordon gets hurt the same the same Same is true if you turn that around and Javante Williams gets hurt. With the Browns, I'm not so convinced that Nick Chubb would actually get featured if Kareem Hunt got hurt. Last year, Nick Chubb, 17 and a half carries and targets per game with Kareem Hunt, 17.6 without. They just elevate Dearness Johnson. I'm not convinced that if, if Nick Chubb got hurt, though, that they would actually use Dearness Johnson ahead of Kareem Hunt on pass downs when that's already what Kareem Hunt has. So got a couple questions about selling high on Kareem Hunt. No, I, I think we have a low-end RB2 that we got to draft as basically an RB3 and we still have that league winning best case scenario so Kareem Hunt is the exact type of player that you want on your roster elevator here uh, Buccaneers Rashad White he is now in this group Worked ahead of Giovanni Bernard, who had the ankle injury, but he wasn't listed on the final injury report. Keyshawn Bond didn't get any offensive snaps as well. So Rashad White still working well behind Leonard Fournette just in terms of like overall usage. But if something happens to Fournette now, Rashad White would be on the top of every single waiver wire article. He should not be available in pretty much any league. With the Cowboys, Tony Pollard would go off if Zeke gets hurt. With the Jaguars, another two running back committee where something happens to J-Rob, great for ETN. Something happens to ETN, it's great for J-Rob. Two more, two back committees, the Jets and the Lions. Let's make it three more, Jets, Lions, and Packers. Michael Carter and Brees Hall, DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones. All these guys seem just so far removed from every other running back on their roster that if one gets hurt, the backup is going to assume more, probably more of a full-down role like than actually the starter has at the moment, which is pretty hilarious to think about with the Rams as bad as the Cam Akers situation is going guys Kyron Williams their fifth round rookie running back he's on IR now with an ankle injury so Daryl Henderson already has that workhorse role but if something happens to Daryl Henderson who let's face it hasn't exactly been a model of staying healthy over the years then Cam Akers would suddenly have that workhorse role that a lot of people drafted him hoping he'd have in round four round five so please don't rage drop Cam Akers I know it sucks to think of him, think of your fourth round pick as a handcuff at this point, but he is a really valuable handcuff at this point, even if his snaps don't improve, which I'm not ruling out yet. Steelers, Jalen Warren really does seem to be ready to go with that three down roll, both based on that week one usage and just the Steelers history in general. And with the Texans, like same thing, similar sentiment with Cam Akers. Like I understand Damian Pierce, fantasy managers, you're bummed. Use this high mid round pick on the guy and you're not getting anything out of him. You can't start Cam Akers or Damian Pierce in week two with any level of confidence. I would really advise against doing so. With that said, it was just Rex Burkhead and Damian Pierce last week. So if something happens to Burkhead, who's going to be 33 here in about a month, I do think Pierce would have a really good chance of taking over the entire backfield. 
And finally, Alexander Madison, six games without Dalvin Cook over the past two years, 11, 24, 32, 32, 25, and 16 touches. Would expect that to again again be the case if Cook gets hurt. Four more teams have a backup running back where I don't think they would step up and take on like 20 carries per game or anything because they're more of a pass down back. With that said, they are good. They are important to their offense. And I think their best case scenario, if their leads, if their team starting running back, gets injured is more of like an Austin Eckler-esque role. So not three down workhorse, but still someone that, you know, you're lining up as maybe an upside RB1 in the right offense or at a minimum, you know, a top 20 option. So the Colts with Naeem Hines, talked about the preseason usage and he's already getting pretty involved as it is even with Jonathan Taylor healthy the Eagles with Kenneth Gamewell the Patriots now with Ramondre Stevenson now that we can take Ty Montgomery out of the picture and the Titans with Dontrell Hilliard so Naeem Hines Kenneth Gamewell Ramondre Stevenson Dontrell Hilliard backup running backs who the team starter goes down again, not expecting 20, 25 carries per game, but 10 to 15 carries on top of five to six targets. That's the sort of workload that we can more than live with, especially in full PPR scoring. These teams, their backup running backs receive nice boosts if their starter misses time, but I think the committee that would emerge would still kind of leave them outside the top 20 or so backs more weeks than not. 49ers, Jeff Wilson. I ranked him, I think, RB26 for this week, so he is right there, and he could go up if we're for sure that he's got that role, but we still got Trey Lance. We still got Debo. They signed Marlon Mack and maybe Tyrion Davis-Price, who's probably going to be active moving forward, can't eat into things. With the Bengals, Samaje Pirine, still a number two running back, but, man, Chris Evans starts showing off that receiving juice a little bit. I do think this could be a bit more of a split committee than uh, what we're seeing Joe Mixon handle at the moment. With the Bills, if something happened to Devin Singletary, I think Zach Moss would probably actually, sadly, uh, be the uh, running back to own, at least while James Cook continues to be in the doghouse. But either way, it would be Moss and Cook as opposed to just one of them. With the Cardinals, I want to put I wanted to put Eno Benjamin ahead of this, potentially let this be kind of my warning about it because behind James Conner in week one, no Daryl Williams, no Keontae Ingram, all Eno Benjamin. So we've seen Eno in Arizona. There's been instances where Cliff has had the opportunity to feature him and he really just hasn't taken advantage of it. So even though Cliff Kingsbury, whether it's Connor, Edmonds, Drake, even David Johnson for a little bit, Cliff has been willing to give his starting running back, whoever it is, a true featured role. But when it's Eno, and we've seen all this before, you know, we just don't have the same sort of front office backing or like just proven production with Eno that we do with some of the other guys that are up a couple tiers. So Eno is a sneaky handcuff to add in deeper leagues because if we get a little more, I think, uh, certainty on this situation, like he's going to be moving up the ranks. If James Conner gets hurt, Eno Benjamin is the guy. I'm just not quite as convinced that Eno would kind of have that every down role, uh, but more on him in a little bit. With the Commanders, yeah, you take Brian Robinson out of the picture. Antonio Gibson does become a weekly low-end RB2. You could even maybe can argue that he should be up a little bit, but J.D. McKissick uh, still just stays on the field on pass downs and makes it tough for Antonio. With the Dolphins, I don't think Raheem Mostert would have a feature role if Edmund gets hurt. With the Giants, same thing with Matt Breida. Panthers, Chuba and Foreman if something happens to McCaffrey. With the Saints, seeing this right now, Alvin Kamara rib injury. They signed Latavius Murray to the practice squad, seemingly telling us that Mark Ingram, even if he's going to be the lead back, probably not going to be an every down workhorse by any stretch and with the Seahawks Kenneth Walker with that hernia Pete Carroll telling us he's going to play week two I just think that if either of them get hurt like we saw last week Rashad Penny he comes out he's definitely the lead back 69% carries 61% routes 12 carries and three targets but Travis Homer 35% snaps and even DJ Dallas 6% snaps so Seattle is just going to continue using three running backs because some people just hate fantasy football 
five backfields where I think things are muddled enough to think that if we have a starter get hurt, it's just going to continue to be a muddle committee. The Chargers right now is Joshua Kelly behind Austin Eckler, but I don't think that's locked in at all. I mean, he actually split snaps with Sony Michelle, who have more carries. Who knows if Spiller's ever going to get in there. With the Chiefs, if something happened to Clyde, I think Rojo, who is a healthy scratch, and Pacheco would split a lot of the early down stuff, while Jarek McKinnon will get most of the pass first situation work. With the Falcons, Damian Williams was playing a lot early with the rib injury. Cordero Patterson gets hurt, though. Is Damian really going to take over, or do we see Tyler Algier suddenly elevated? Quadri Olsen maybe sticking around. I don't want anything to do with the non-CPAT running backs. And then we got the Raiders, essentially New England Southwest. We actually have Brandon Bolden already dealing with a hamstring injury, I'm seeing. But with that said, I don't expect Josh Jacobs' role to really change that much. Still think it's going to be Jacobs, Abdullah, Zamir White, Brandon Bolden in some way, shape, or form all throughout the season. Last week, it was just mostly Jacobs and Bolden. We'll see what happens moving forward. And finally, with the Ravens, Dobbins, we'll see if he's back. But look no further than Mike Davis freaking working as a starter throughout the preseason. They signed Kenyon Drake 10 days before the year, and then they hand over the backfield to Kenyon Drake. So if something happened to Kenyon Drake, I mean, how many veteran running backs might the uh, Ravens actually sign before they consider uh, giving the offense over to Mike Davis? I do not want to find out. So again, you can find the handcuff index as well as my snap rates all around the league in my weekly running back handcuff index, matchup notes, and week two rankings article. Great day to be great here. Let's get into some specific week two notes now. So major riser of the week, Los Angeles Rams running back Daryl Henderson. He started 11 games for the Rams now over the past two seasons. Guys, elite usage. I mean, snap rates, 94%, 68, 90, 66, 82, 88, 61, 60, 75, 81, most recently 81. He peeled off an RB21 finish last week. In these 11 games, the worst he's finished is RB37, and he's had plenty of upside RB1 performances as well. So Daryl Henderson, someone that needs to be in starting lineups while we have just, again, as much certainty as we could have about this backfield at the moment. So I have Henderson this week, like RB 17. I'm not completely drinking the Kool-Aid. I'd like to get another, you know, sample dot to this to before we completely uh, rank him like what his workload told us he was in week one, which is a legit top 15 running back at a minimum though. Got to love uh, what Henderson's doing this week. I mean, he was being drafted outside the top 40 running backs. Now I'm telling you he's locked in as a top 20 and that feels low. Some honorable mention top risers of the week. Saquon Barkley, every week upside RB1. He's my overall RB3. This week, elite usage and trademark explosiveness is back. Joe Mixon already ranked high, but look, I ranked him like going into the year basically as a Nick Chubb type of guy. Now, He's getting all the two-minute work, guys. This is good. Unfortunately, Samaje Piran is still playing third downs, and we did see Mixon last year in the early parts play more on pass downs and in two-minute situations than he did after coming back from injury, but really, really helpful to see Joe Mixon, who's still in a great offense, still getting all the carries, also get that two-minute work. I'm confidently now ranking him more so as an upside RB1 as opposed to, you know, that up more, more so – touchdown dependent RB2 who is still in the starting lineup more weeks than not but now we can really really feel good about it talked about James Robinson going from hopeful starter to actually leading the way he is back on in the RB2 borderline discussion Chase Edmonds didn't have great production in week one guys but I talked about that Austin Eckler role that some of those Hines and Gamewell backups are looking for that's basically what Chase Edmonds has. I mean, Chase Edmonds' role in week one was a hell of a lot better than Austin Eckler. Just compare the two guys. Chase Edmonds played 64% of the snaps. Austin Eckler, 51%. Eckler did have three additional carries, but they both had, excuse me, Edmonds had 
four targets. Eckler had three targets. Edmonds ran a route in 57% of two of his dropbacks. Eckler a route in only 38% of Herbert's dropbacks. So again, it was bad Eckler usage, but like that Edmonds usage is basically what we're hoping for out of Eckler, maybe with a few more actual counting numbers uh, in terms of the carries and targets, but really, really buying in the chase Edmonds. Don't be afraid to try to get him in a trade. If anyone's, you know, not listening to this podcast. Michael Carter, another big riser, just not only starting over Brees Hall, but working ahead of him throughout the game. And Kenyon Drake, like just from compared to this time last week, Kenyon Drake is on, you know, the RB3 map. Uh, obviously, though, he will need J.K. Dobbins to stay sidelined. Rex Burkhead, apparently the man in Houston. I, I don't get it. Doesn't make sense, but it's the world we are living in. And for the time being, Burkhead needs to at least be an RB3. And also Jeff Wilson, obviously, with the rise coming from Elijah Mitchell's knee injury. Major follower of the week goes hand in hand with the major riser and Daryl Henderson. Major follower is going to be Cam Akers. Once again, though, don't rage cut Cam Akers. He still has a big chance potentially later in the year to finally get that workhorse role that we're hoping for. Other fallers, Mike Davis, obviously losing out to Kenyon Drake, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard now not having Dak, Damian Pierce having to deal with the Rex Burkhead experience, Claude Eberzolaire being stuck in a three running back committee, even though he scored two touchdowns. Travis Etienne did take a slight backseat to James Robinson. I, I still think ETN's going to probably have the more fantasy-friendly role throughout the year. We saw that in terms of his pass-down role, regardless with J-Rob making a, a rather miraculous return, if we can just call it that. Uh, it's not great for ETN's weekly touch ceiling. Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson feeling really good about Ty Montgomery now being out of the picture. Great day to be great there. And also, yeah, I'm sorry there. Okay. Making the edit to the article, Ramondre Stevenson, Damon Harris. Good news, they were followers when we they they were followers when we weren't sure if Ty Montgomery was going to continue to be involved. So apologies there. Last major follower of the week, Elijah Mitchell and Najee Harris, just by you know being injured right now. Obviously Mitchell far worse than Harris though. My bull call of the week. Nailed this last week. I said Antonio Gibson was going to be a top 12 PPR running back. He finished as the RB11. So my bull call for this week, James Conner turns in a top five PPR performance. 20 touchdowns now in 17 games with the Cardinals. Results have been even better, you know, when Chase Edmonds has not been involved. So now we've had, let's see, two, four, six, seven games of James Conner without Chase Edmonds. And he has worked as the RB1, 17, 7, 12, 2, 1, and most recently 15. So it's a Raiders defense ranked 30th in PPR points per game allowed to opposing backfields last season. I am locking James Conner in the lineups of all shapes and sizes, RB1 season there. My pissed off call of the week last week. It didn't turn up, which was great. That means I wasn't pissed off. So like this worked out. Uh, hopefully I can continue to kind of reverse jinx these and good things happen to us. But I said that Joe Mixon wouldn't see much pass down work. And even though Samaje Pirine did dominate third downs, Mixon was able to get on the field in the two minute situations and end up catching a lot of passes. Great day to be great. We've adjusted accordingly. My pissed off call for week two, though, is that the Seahawks will start rotating. Not one, not two, not three, but four running backs on a weekly basis. Pete Carroll did say Kenneth Walker will play in week two. I don't believe Pete, but it at least seems like he's probably on the right side of questionable at this point. So I think Walker eats into Rashad Penny's early down work. I think Travis Homer keeps his pass down role and DJ Dallas, who is the primary kick returner, will be active and maybe he'll just come on the field for a few snaps because Pete Carroll hates fantasy football. 
Streamer of the week, Daryl Henderson, who we've talked about plenty. Also, Jeff Wilson, Rex Burkhead, and Jalen Warren. Again, went over all of this with uh, Nathan Yonke here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast itself. Streamer of next week, probably Eno Benjamin. Again, was able to nail this last week. I said Jeff Wilson would be the top streamer of week two. Pretty close. Henderson was someone that I just, I don't know, I guess I thought was already on a bunch of rosters. But Jeff Wilson getting that nice bump, I could see a similar uh, situation playing out with Eno Benjamin. Because we have Henderson, Wilson, Burkhead, Jalen Warren, and all these guys this week, I think people are ignoring the fact that Eno really seems to be the RB2 in Arizona, which historically has been one of the more fantasy-friendly roles out there. So if you have the bench spot, got some shitty quarterback two or tight end that you're not even sure why they're on their team. Don't be afraid to get ahead of the curb. Go get, you know, Benjamin. Injuries we got to monitor this week. Tune in to the Friday edition of this podcast because I get Nick Botterford on here and we go over every single fantasy relevant injury. In my opinion, maybe the most helpful podcast that we have going up all week. But Alvin Kamara dealing with the ribs. Saints reportedly feel pretty good about it, but they still felt the need to sign Latavius Murray. This is a slight downgrade for me with Kamara while we're not sure if he's going to have his full role. Talked about Najee Harris and the foot injury. He said he's going to play Mike Tomlin. Not so sure. Again, small downgrade for the time being, but Jalen Warren is firmly on the streamer map. Regardless, Elijah Mitchell out for at least the next eight weeks. They did sign Marlon Mack, but now Jeff Wilson poised to handle most things. Kenneth Walker with the abdomen. Again, apparently going to play this week. Damian Williams with the rib injury for the Falcons. We'll see what happens there. But if he is back, no slight downgrade for Cordero Patterson's potential carry upside. J.K. Dobbins factoring in as another game-time decision with that knee injury. If not, Kenyon Drake is back on the streamer map. Probably just nothing more than a mid-tier RB3, though. Kyron Williams on IR with the ankle injury leaves only Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers in the LA RB room. Mentioned the Ty Montgomery, you know, trip to the IR. Now he's going to be out eight weeks with an ankle injury. Suddenly it seems like Damon Harris or Mondre Stevenson, I'm knocking on wood, are the only two viable running backs left in New England. Also have Brandon Bolden dealing with that hamstring injury. So look for Amir Abdullah and Zamir White to fill his shoes behind Josh Jacobs if he can't suit up. PFF projections have six running backs expected to receive 20-plus combined carries and targets in Week 2. Some pretty usual names, Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook, Derek Henry, Christian McCaffrey, and Najee Harris. Also have Fournette, Mixon, Henderson, Zeke, and Swift at 17.4 or higher. Uh, some of the top mismatches of the week. I took the yards before contact per carry from every offensive line versus every defensive line to get an idea of this. So, it's not complicated. This is how we talk about matchups in any sport. You know, we say the offense ranks X in this and the defense ranks Y in this. And oh my gosh, look how different it is. I'm just doing that to get it all the one number handy dandy. How about that? Best matchups of the week in terms of expected success. Guys just having a huge runway before they get even touched all based on week one numbers, of course. Leonard Fournette at the Saints, Cordero Patterson at the Rams, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon versus the Bears, DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams versus the Commanders, and Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram versus the Buccaneers. Just one week. I don't think the Sams, I don't think the Saints, the Sams, the Saints, Rams, or Buccaneers are terrible uh, front sevens by any stretch of the imagination. With that said, Fournette, Patterson, and Kamara, pass catchers that allow us to not really worry about these matchups as much because we want running backs catching passes at the end of the day anyway. On the other side of things, five running backs not set up for success this week based on their offensive lines and defensive lines. McCaffrey at the Giants, we don't care because he catches passes. Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick at the Lions, with the way things are right now, I'm still not too worried about it for Gibson. Rex Burkhead and Damian Pierce at the Broncos, I will not be chasing, you know, that 
we're not even chasing points here. We're, we're chasing like empty points because uh, Rex Burkett had really great usage. Uh, Derek Henry at the Bills. I have Henry way down this week, and you're still going to start him, but it's just tough not to be a little bit annoyed about that matchup. But we'll see. J.K. Dobbins and Kenyon Drake versus the Dolphins also not set up well. I will continue to try to stay away from this Baltimore Ravens backfield before until I should say we have full ideas of who is healthy and who is not. Takes us right to the week two running back rankings, which you can find using the PFF Plus subscription. PFF app, my Nathan Yonke, Kevin Cole, all of our rankings each and every week going to be up there. So I am still sticking with Christian McCaffrey as the overall RB1. 23 consecutive non-injured games with 100 plus yards and or a touchdown. Should have gotten those freaking 28 uh, rushing yards, but nope, fumble recovery yards. God sometimes hates fantasy football, but yeah, I'm not not expecting his receiving volume to stay long, stay down for very long, continue to go the well with McCaffrey. Number two, Jonathan Taylor. Wasn't that funny when Frank Reich said they didn't want uh, Jonathan Taylor, Taylor to lead the league in rush attempts? What are you doing week one? 35 touches against the freaking Texans. Yeah, I think he's going to keep getting fed. And RB3, Saquon Barkley. Guys, 119 rushing yards after contact in week one. Last season, 136 rushing yards after contact combined in weeks one through four. Yeah, I'm thinking Saquon's back. Rest of the top 11, either a true workhorse, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette, James Conner, Derrick Henry. Yes, James Conner, we talked about this. Or they have enough pass game volume to make up for the presence of another running back. These are the Ecklers, the DeAndre Swifts, and the Alvin Kamaras of the world. Behind those guys, I do have Najee Harris just because of the questionable health and overall terrible offensive environment. I'll bump them down you know, a little bit if we get... I'll bump him up a little bit if we get complete you know, clearance that he's fine, but I don't think we're going to. Aaron Jones, Javante Williams, Nick Chubb, still top 15 running backs. I mean, they're locked in starters. And even though it'd be a lot cooler if their respective offenses more fully featured them, beggars can't be choosers. Chase Edmonds, my RB16, getting ahead on this. The usage is there. The freaking utilization is there. This is an explosive pass catching back in an offense that looks like it's on the verge of maybe not being a top five, a top 10 unit, but at least a hell of a lot better than last year. And with Tua, like he is not just, you know, he's not a dual threat guy. He's never even rushed for 50 yards in a game going back to Alabama. So with Tua being quarterback, that's more likely to dump it down than actually take off and scramble. Even more good news for Chase Edmonds' future upside. Antonio Gibson remains a recommended start for uh, Brian Robinson's four-week absence, if not longer. Daryl Henderson, Cordero Patterson, and Dave Montgomery round out my top 20 thanks to their statuses as their offenses lead back. Once again, Henderson has a chance to leap far higher once we get more than one data point on this Rams backfield. I'm comfortable at this point starting A.J. Dillon ahead of number one running backs and just worse overall situations. So Zeke, who's in a two-back committee and now a bad overall offense, give me Dillon. Josh Jacobs, three-back committee. Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, all three-back committees. I'm more confident A.J. Dillon's workload over them at this point. Same is true to a lesser extent with Kareem Hunt, only because I don't trust Jacoby Brissett quite as much as Aaron Rodgers. I know, going off on a limb there. Jeff Wilson, RB26 for me this week. Again, will be higher once we're fully sure uh, that he is that guy for now. You know, definitely like, get him on the roster. Uh, just don't necessarily start him ahead of guys on offenses that don't have the same sort of dual threat quarterback slash Debo issue to worry about. James Robinson this week is my RB28. So behind Wilson, behind Sanders and Hunt and some other guys, but I would start Robinson ahead of the Patriots running backs, ahead of the Jets running backs, and of course, Travis Etienne. So still not out on Etienne either. Again, they played 50% snaps each. So this is going to be a split backfield. Robinson, RB28, Etienne, RB32. 
hey, we are working with the Jaguars offense here, but at a minimum, Trevor Lawrence, like I talked about in the QB pod, he had a pretty bad game, but just seeing him, I think, throw for 275 yards and it was a 22-28 final, I think, in that one. You know how long it was last year where he only had one touchdown over like six or seven weeks? So only had one touchdown uh, in week one, but at a minimum, I'm more confident in this Jaguars offense being bad as opposed to like horrific. Patriots and Jets only using two running backs right now, so I give them a slight edge over players stuck in larger rotations like Devin Singletary, like J.K. Dobbins and Rashad Penny, and finally Melvin Gordon and Rex Burkhead, two guys that I'll be forced to move up the ranks if their uses persist. Gordon's was good, and I don't really expect it to go too much of anywhere, but he was still, I mean, he's my RB34 right now. We did get Mike Boone just for a couple snaps, not that I think that's going to be too much of an issue for Melvin Gordon, but Javante, with that 62% route rate advantage over Gordon at 29%. I'm just not really convinced that Melvin's going to have this sort of lead each and every week in the rush attempts. We'll see what happens. I'll adjust when we get the new information handed to us. So going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Hope you guys are enjoying these solo streams. Again, as much as I uh, loved, you know, doing the team-by-team breakdowns with Dwayne last year, obviously not possible anymore these days, and I do understand that it was tough to maybe get to uh, exactly what you were looking for when it was us talking for two and a half hours uh, sometimes. So, a little bit shorter here. Still trying to, you know, give you guys all the information you need to go win some championships. Great day to be great. Why the hell not? So I'm Ian Harditz. Thanks again for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.